Welcome to our very first Better Medicine podcast. I'm Beth Kariva, Vice Chair of Family Medicine. Many of you may be familiar with LVHN's quarterly publication for clinicians called Better Medicine, which highlights new clinicians, procedures, and service line offerings. The Better Medicine podcast is an extension of that publication and another way to keep our colleagues and referring community clinicians informed. Today, I'm going to be speaking with Dr. Richard Borst, bariatric surgeon with LVPG General Bariatric and Trauma Surgery. He's going to be discussing a new surgical option for adolescents who struggle with health issues due to their weight. This new weight loss surgery option is thanks to a partnership between LVHN and Lehigh Valley Riley Children's Hospital. Dr. Borst, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I understand that LVHN is currently the only provider of bariatric services for teens within the region. Why is this such an important service to offer to members of our community? Well, the incidence of of obesity in adolescents is increasing. Uh, It's uh, really of epidemic proportions, and it's our our new epidemic camp that we're going to be dealing with again, once again, after uh, COVID passes. Uh, Children today, uh, unfortunately, uh, lead sedentary lives. They often do too much screen time. Uh, they don't go outside and play. For instance, when I was a, uh, a child, I went out and I played baseball all summer. I played football all winter. Uh, it was uh, be home before dark or dinner, whatever came first. Uh, today, that's for child abuse, so it's just a different time that we live in. Uh, and obese children lead to obese adults. And we know now that children with obesity develop all the same medical comorbidities that adults do. Absolutely. I also grew up in the Be Home by Dark era, so certainly appreciate that. So in thinking about from the perspective of our primary care clinicians, who would be a good candidate for this service or what criteria must an adolescent fit in order to be considered for bariatric surgery? So in general, uh, we use actually insurance company requirements, which most insurance companies require that a patient have a body mass index or a BMI of greater than 40 or greater than 35 and already has medical comorbidities such as sleep apnea hypertension or diabetes, uh, that often will qualify them. Obviously, they've had a tried uh, and failed medical attempts for weight loss in the past. So this is not for people who have never tried a diet. Uh, but, you know, most of our patients have tried many diets uh, for a long time and have been unsuccessful. Uh, and for those patients, surgery is often a very good alternative. Absolutely. So I, I know that this can be a, a long process for our patients, or at least our, the experience I've had with, with adult patients. Will you speak a little bit to what this process is like for adolescents? Is it the same timeline, or are there any caveats that we should be aware of? Absolutely. Uh, well, with our adult patients, uh, we always stress the preoperative education. So basically, when somebody comes to us, we make them a better patient. We teach them what a protein, a carbohydrate, a fat is. We teach them portion control. We teach them how to read labels, how to shop, how to exercise. Many of the things you th- we take for granted that people should know they've never been taught. For And those patients require either a three- or six-month pro- length program in general. That's often dictated by their insurer. For adolescents, however, uh, just because of their young age, we mandate that they go through a six-month program. So, And we educate not only them, but their families also. Uh, because they have, they're not the ones often buying the food. So we have a mandatory six-month program uh, for all adolescents entering our, our uh, weight loss surgery program. We are currently taking patients that are uh, down to 16 years of age. Uh, as our first group, we had uh, previously gone down to uh, the legal age of 18 when it when taking somebody in for weight loss surgery. So we're now offering it to 16, 17-year-olds. 
and actually plan to extend that down to 14-year-olds in the near future. That's certainly very helpful to know as we're seeing patients in our practices and thinking about the ages of of those who might be eligible um, for starting at 16 at this point. You also made such a great point about the role of of families and the importance of engaging them as patients go through this journey. Any other recommendations for support systems for patients to have as they navigate this process? So we are definitely the primary support system uh, for the patient, but the at-home support system is, is, is extremely important. So, you know, for an adolescent, having uh, adults that back them and support them in what they're doing, and uh, usually uh, adolescents would not come totally on their own, obviously, but they, they need a, a good structure at home. Uh, as I said, we support and educate the patients preoperatively. We get them through the surgery safely, and then we're here to support them afterwards. So our goal is we strive for a minimum of five-year follow-up following the surgery. So patients not only come back for perioperative visits, but they also come back to support groups and for counseling, additional nutritional help or guidance with exercise, or in times of stress, we've got social workers that help deal with the issues because many people use food as a stress relief. And after the surgery, if they can't use that, they might look for some other outlet. And we have people to help guide them with those feelings and and to channel them appropriately. Oh, that's wonderful. Sounds like really fantastic support infrastructure for our patients. So now that we've talked a little bit about what patients may be eligible and, and some of the logistics around family engagement, we'd like to get into some more of the, the nuts and bolts around the surgery itself. So where are these surgeries taking place? So we're currently doing all the surgeries at the Cedar Crest site of Lehigh Valley Hospital. The actual operation occurs in the main operating room. Uh, the patients, however, are going to the pediatric floor for uh, their post-operative care. What we've done is we have a specialized bariatric floor for the adults, and we've had those nurses give all the training needed to the pediatric nurses to help take care of uh, the patients appropriately. The hospitalization, however, is actually a small part of the the timeline. Most patients are in the hospital for 24 hours and sometimes maybe two nights overnight, but in general, uh, the patients stay overnight one night before they go home. Oh, wow. That's helpful to know. That, that's faster than I would have anticipated, but I'm sure that the patients are really excited to be able to, to get home so quickly and to have that ongoing care that, that you had articulated before. Um, in addition to thinking about where these surgeries are act- actually taking place, can you give us some more detail on, on the type of surgeries that or, or surgery that's being offered? I know there are several different metabolic surgery options for our adult patients. Is that the same for adolescents or is there one that's preferred or recommended? So you're right that there are a couple different options for uh, adults, uh, and those are the the older standard, which is the laparoscopic Roux-en-Y gastric bypass, and then additionally the sleeve gastrectomy, which we've done here for probably 15 years now. Um, we've been doing gastric bypasses here at Lehigh Valley since 2000, and have great experience with both of them. We've done both in high numbers, and we do about 700 uh, bariatric procedures a year at the Cedar Crest site alone, uh, and uh, more when you consider other sites through the network. But all the, as I said before, all the pediatric or adolescent cases are done at Lehigh Valley. We're doing all of our surgeries robotically, so it's laparoscopic surgery through small incisions that we use the Da Vinci robotic system to do. Uh, and it provides benefits to both us and the patient and lets us do you know, the best, most precise work possible. The operation that most of our adolescents are going to be opting for is going to be a sleeve gastrectomy, which has, of the two choices, has the fewest metabolic complications. Um, there are 
instances where in an adolescent patient, a gastric bypass may be recommended, and that's usually safe for patients who have problems with bad gastroesophageal reflux or heartburn. Um, we know that patients that have a bad heartburn issues and that uh, uh, get a sleeve gastrectomy, that heartburn can often be made worse. However, the gastric bypass is often curative for heartburn. But I'm going to say probably 95% of our adolescent patients are going to be getting the sleeve gastrectomy. Now, both operations offer excellent weight loss. And it's more of how you use the tool that we give you than which tool you select. So both operations offer about a uh, 70 to 80% excess body weight loss at one year's time. Well, that's really helpful to know. I imagine that might be one of the first questions that families considering this would ask in terms of what types of surgical procedures are available. And I imagine that the fact that we're able to offer this robotically uh, via laparoscopic surgery likely enhances the recovery time uh, in terms of duration. Will you speak to that a little bit more? I know you mentioned hospitalization 24 to 48 hours, but what would you recommend to a family or advise them on in terms of recovery time and how that might impact timing? I imagine if we're talking about 16-year-olds, they're still in school, so is this something that you defer to summer break or something that, that could potentially be done at another time? Well, absolutely. So I don't, there's not a lot of downtime. And again, it depends on the school situation. And, and fortunately now, since we've been through COVID, we know how to work remotely. So that is going to be another alternative. I believe that might still be available for students if they're not quite ready to go home, go back into the classroom, uh, uh, that they could still do their work through, you know, Zoom classes uh, uh, and do things remotely. So I think that opens up extra options. Most patients, I think, will probably choose to have these procedures performed during the summer break. But, uh, for instance, when we do the surgeries, as I said, patients stay overnight one night. The following day when they meet discharge criteria, which involves tolerating at least uh, four ounces of liquid an hour for three to four hours after, after, you know, consecutively so that we know that they can keep themselves hydrated. They've got to have the pain controlled and, and no fever. Then they can, they can be discharged home. When they go home, they're able to walk around. They can do stairs. They can ride in the car. Um, they're usually not driving age yet, but if they were, they could, they could drive in the four to five days. Uh, we say no heavy lifting for patients, uh, pretty much with any laparoscopic surgery, for about three weeks until the small entry holes that we go in to work through have time to heal because if they would lift something too heavy prior to that healing, they risk developing a port site hernia uh, at the, the locations we go in. So uh, there's not a reason that a student wouldn't be able to go back to work to school about seven to ten days following the surgery. Uh, so this is something that could be worked around a little extended vacation break or over the holidays or spring break possibly. Uh, but again, I feel that most patients are going to plan it over a summer vacation. That's very helpful. Thank you. And an excellent point about the capacity of virtual care for students to continue to engage if they would have this done at, at other points along the timeline of the year. In thinking about partnering with your colleagues, and particularly in primary care, is there anything that you would want us to know in terms of factors that might help to facilitate success after the surgery or how we can continue to collaborate for caring for the patient going forward? Well, I, I just think most importantly that people are made aware that this is an option, that we're offering this service. Uh, it's not an, uh, an easy way out. It's, a, it's a, something that is a, is a tool that people have to use. And again, like any tool, it can be used the right way or the wrong way. 
we educate people to use it the right way and try to follow up closely. We want to stay involved with their care. The sleeve in particular has very little metabolic complica- uh, consequences. Vitamin deficiencies are very rare. Mal- malnutrition is not seen because uh, the absorption of nutrients and, and medications is pretty much normal. Um, as far as the medical comorbidities I referred to before, that adolescents develop just as adults who are obese. This helps cure diabetes about 80% of the time. Uh, it helps with hypertension about 67% of the time. It helps get people off their CPAP for sleep apnea also about 80% of the time. The other things that we need to think about for these adolescents is, is um, weight is something that not only affects their health, but it affects them emotionally. They, it can, they can be a source of bullying uh, or being secluded or secluding themselves. Uh, you know, most patients, if we're honest with themselves, there's activities that they will not do because of their weight, so they're kind of imprisoned by their weight. Uh, they will not put themselves in certain situations. And for a developing teen, these are very critical times, you know, to be with other people, to be part of a group and socialize. So those are the kind of unmeasurable things that, uh, you know, are out there for people with that undergo weight loss surgery. The other thing is that people don't realize that weight affects how long you're going to live. So if we take two teens, one's morbidly obese and one's normal weight, the life expectancy difference between those two people is 13 years. Wow. So that the, 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 the morbidly obese teenager by statistically will live 13 years less than a teenager of normal weight. That's an incredibly powerful statement to be able to, to share with patients in terms of thinking about the benefits of going forward. Absolutely. So as we're seeing patients and we're identifying those who, who may be very good candidates, aside from putting in the referral to bariatric medicine, is there anything else that, that would be helpful from your perspective or that you would like to see documented? Is it a certain duration of, of having tried weight loss efforts and what they were or a trajectory of, of weight gain? Just trying to think of anything else that would help to facilitate that warm handoff um, to transition the patient from primary care into the bariatric surgery team? Well, again, our adolescent program, as far as the surgery, the surgical procedure itself is identical to the adult procedure. What is different is our integration that we've done with the help of the pediatric department, with uh, additional counseling, with the uh, pediatricians making sure that the adolescent has met all their developmental milestones, and we actually work with a pediatric gastroenterologist because these patients do require preoperative endoscopy just to make sure that there's no pathology in the esophagus or stomach that would uh, change our decision-making as far as the surgery they're undergoing. So, you know, we're very fortunate, let me say, to be associated with our Department of Pediatrics and the the Children's Hospital uh, to have access to all their resources to help us with taking care of these, uh, these adolescents. For us, the actual surgical part is not that different, but they've got to be approached, the patients themselves have to be approached differently, and that's where the, our pediatric colleagues you know, have all the experience. When a patient comes into our program, the first thing they have to do is get information about it, and the way they start is by calling the hospital referral line, and they can get a list of weight loss surgery information sessions that we do. So we used to do these actually in person pre-COVID, where we would take one of the uh, conference rooms on the hospital, but now we're doing them online. It does not cost anything. There's no uh, uh, commitment. 
and it's simply for the patient to get information. So it's, it's basically a Zoom call that the patient can either just listen to or they can ask questions and we answer that. So we usually speak for maybe an hour, uh, an hour, 15 minutes, and then might answer, answer questions for another 15 minutes. And then we have a representative from our preoperative program on also uh, to educate pe- people what the preoperative program involves and what potential insurance requirements are involved and help them navigate those things. If after that point, patients think, yes, this is something that I'm interested in, then they would enter our preoperative program, which as I said before, for, for adolescents is a six month program. Uh, that is, you know, it's educational with you know, dietitians, exercise, physiologists, uh, social workers, uh, and our nurse practitioners uh, at the program. Then when they would come out of that program, that's when we see them in the office. We answer any remaining questions they might have, discuss choice of procedure with them, and go over things a little bit more in detail. So the whole process does take probably eight months from the time the decision is made till they're actually uh, you know, in surgery, uh, but uh, it's eight months well spent. Many people initially will say, oh my gosh, eight months, that seems like such a waste of time. They'll think that prior to the program, but once they come out the other side of the program, universally they say, I could not imagine embarking on weight loss surgery without having that program and all the education that we provide. Well, that's really helpful to know uh, about the eight months, especially thinking about the families who might be trying to plan around a specific time point of the year. I also know that many of our adult patients have accessed those educational sessions and have found them incredibly helpful. So I imagine our our adolescents and families will will find the same when they have the chance to meet with the team and just hear in a lot more detail than we might be able to discuss in a a typical office visit when we're placing the referral. So I know I feel incredibly fortunate to be part of a network that offers this resource, particularly to our younger patients, knowing all of what you described in terms of the potential downstream risks and the the emotional burden that that this additional weight carries for them. So really, really thankful that we have this opportunity to refer patients so close to home without them having to travel out of the area. Is there anything else that we didn't have a chance to discuss or anything else that you think that you would want our colleagues to know about this program? No, not in particular. It's just, it's getting the word out. So we all kind of live in our own little world and don't know what's happening elsewhere, you know, through the network and everything else. And when I started to want to extend this program to adolescents, I did not realize the degree of medical problems that how many kids are diabetic, how many kids use sleep apnea, uh, how many kids have, are on multiple hypertensive medications. And the numbers are astounding. And uh, I just feel fortunate that we can have this resource now that we can offer help to these uh, uh, you know, growing adolescents. Absolutely. What well, I'm curious, is there anything in particular that really drew you to this work? Well, I'll tell you, I went into practice in 1990 here at Lehigh Valley, and that was on the, the dawn of laparoscopic surgery. And it interested me greatly. I took to it well and was always continuing to develop and work on new procedures. I frequently taught procedures, went up to other institutions to preceptor people in new procedures. And in 2000, I decided to go to the next more difficult procedure, which was started, which was bariatric surgery. That was starting to be done laparoscopically. So initially, I did it more as a technical challenge. I have to admit that. Once I did it and found out what it did to the patients, how much it helped them, the medical problems that we cured, then I really grew to love it. And that's been my passion since that time. 
Well, that's wonderful. And again, um, really fantastic that we have this resource and looking forward to sharing this with all of our colleagues, getting the word out, as you had said, so that we can make sure that we keep those referrals coming in. So Dr. Boris, thank you so much for joining us today. Really appreciate your time. Thank you very much for having me. Keeping Lehigh Valley Health Network colleagues connected and informed, that's the goal of our Better Medicine podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Dr. Beth Kariva. Until next time.